Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses, our Gulf Coast, South Shore Online, and here at Little Creek uh, to the fourth week of our series entitled The Book of Revelation. Come on, can we just welcome our other campuses joining us right now? If you haven't been here, we are in a seven-week series on the last book of the Bible, the last book in the New Testament, the book of Revelation. And uh, really, the church is 16 years old. I've waited 16 years to teach through this. I had so many people over the years ask me, Pastor, when can you do uh, the book of Revelation? And so if you're a guest with us, this is a little bit different, uh, teaching through the whole book, particularly uh, this book. A uh, lot of controversy throughout history, uh, you know, interpretations. And so maybe one way I can say it's taken me 16 years just to figure it out. Maybe I, may, maybe I could say it that way. I do want to make just a couple upfront qualifications uh, as well. Uh, you know, anytime you talk about the book of Revelation, people get fired up and excited about, you know, as Pastor Steve, are they going to be setting dates, you know, over there at Church of the King? Uh, Jesus himself said this. L listen to me. He says, no man. Everyone say no man. No man. He says, not even the angels in heaven know the day of his return. So anybody that gets on TV as a preacher and says that Jesus is returning this day, trust me, it's not going to happen. All right. So, Pastor, how are you living your life? I'm living that he may come back today. But I'm planning that it may be 100 years. I'm telling my kids to go to college. I'm, I'm telling people, you know, get educated. And I'm planting apple seeds that'll that produce apple trees that'll become an apple orchard. Are you with me? And so I think there's a tension that we live in as believers where we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be ready if the Lord comes back today. But in the same way, uh, the Bible's clear. He says, occupy. Everyone say, occupy. The scripture says, occupy until the Lord comes. Make an impact in business. Make an impact in the political world. Make an impact in the arts and entertainment in every area. We do not believe in an escapist mentality where we're all going to hide out and we're defeated and Christ gets us at the end. No, no, no. Here's what I believe. I believe we're filled with the Spirit, making a difference, and Christ says, you know what? I'm ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. That, that's what I believe. That's what I believe. <laughs> Having said that, today I'm going to start on the first part of the tribulation. The tribulation is seven years long. I'm going to talk about the first three and a half years. Next week, I'm going to unpack the second three and a half years of the tribulation. Speaking of the tribulation, one day, Boudreaux and Thibodeau went fishing. Thibodeau, Boudreaux says to Thibodeau, Thibodeau, I hear there's a radio preacher talking about the end of the world. He said, really? He said, yeah, he's talking about famines and wars and Armageddon. He said, you're kidding me? He said, no, I'm telling you. He says, well, it got me to thinking what I would do if the end of the world was coming. I believe that Marie and I would go to the camp, we'd bring our kids, we'd eat crawfish, and we would just enjoy ourselves until the Lord comes and gets us. That's what I would do. <laughs> he says, well, what would you do? He says, me? I'd take Claude Teal and the kids, and I'd move to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. <laughs> he said, why would you do that? May I tip it up? Confused Boudreaux says, why? Why would you, why would you even move there? <laughs> Because, Thibodeau, University of Alabama is always about 10 years behind the rest of the world. <laughs> now listen to me. I got to say something. If that offended you, we don't care. I'm just done. <laughs> we love you because we're Christians, but we don't like your school. All right. I thought I, I just got to get it off my chest. All right. I just, <laughs> we're still a little bit bitter about the coach. All right. Revelation. Chapter 12, verse 11. <laughs> Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. The theme scripture for the whole book of Revelation is found in Revelation chapter 12. 
And the concept is that we have been called by Christ, regardless of the end time events. Hey, some of us are living in situations right now. You say, Pastor, end time, man, tribulation. Look, I feel like I'm living in it right now. That's why the Bible's so clear that God has called us to this. Here's what he says. He says, and they overcame. Everyone say overcame. How many know if you overcome something, something's got to come to you that you got to go over? So we're talking about, all of us are dealing with situations in life. We've got marriage issues, you've got financial issues, you've got health issues, you've got things you're dealing with. But here's the good news in the gospel, that we can overcome not by the strength of our willpower. No, no, that's not where it starts. It's by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of the Lamb, number one. How many are grateful for grace? It's the blood of Christ. It's what Christ has done. Number two, by the word of our testimony, what Christ has done in our lives. And number three, they did not love their lives even unto the death. So we are believing, we believe the Bible's clear that we are called to overcome every challenge that comes against us, every obstacle in the gospel, you have power to overcome. Now, having said that, I've done notes for you every week. And uh, I'm going to ask you to take him out and look at the top graph, all right? This graph, this is week four, so I've got week five next week, six, and then seven. Longest series I've ever done on a weekend, seven weeks. I want to go back because we wrote this the first week to help everybody, and so we're going to now be referring to it over the next three weeks, all right? Uh, we're talking about the book of Revelation. Here's where we are right now. We are in what's called the church age, all right? From the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, Acts chapter 2, until the present, people are getting saved, people are becoming disciples of the Lord, following Christ, all right, loving Jesus. And, and so, but there's coming an event, there's coming an event right here where I believe the Bible calls a rapture, all right? Now, I can't reteach last week. Last week, I talked about Revelations chapter 4, and I talked about where I believe the rapture fits in the end times. And uh, the rapture is, let me qualify. Again, maybe you're new to Christianity or maybe you're a young believer. Think, man, what is he talking about? Just hang on. Again, you need to get the CD from last week because I spent 40 minutes talking about it. The rapture is not the same as the second coming of Christ. These are two different events. That's the way I see it. Now, I want to also qualify. There's some godly people that believe the rapture is right here. Some people believe the rapture happens right here. We're raptured up and then Christ comes back and we kind of meet together. Uh, whether you believe in the rapture or not is not the basis of fellowship in our church. You don't go to heaven because you believe in the rapture. You go to heaven because you believe in the blood of Christ and you put your faith in Jesus. Are you with me? That's important for me to say. However, I think that this is a doctrine in the Bible and it's a doctrine of comfort to believers, not only first century believers, but believers today. So here's what happened. Christ comes back. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, he comes and he stops where? in the clouds. It's clear in the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 4. And what he does is, is he raptures the church. Those that are believers, Paul said, we read it last week, not all will go by way of the grave. Not all will sleep. There's going to be a generation of people when Christ comes back to catch away his church, they're not going to die natural death. Just like Enoch didn't die natural death. Just like Elijah did not die natural death. There's going to be a group of people, the Bible says they don't die natural death, but they're raptured. Where do I get the word rapture from? It's a Latin word translating the Greek word harpazo in this verse, Thessalonians 4, and it means to snatch away, to catch away. The first translation of the Greek New Testament was in Latin. So the word rapture is a Latin word. And so here's what it means. It means that there's, there's believers on the earth. 
Christ comes halfway in the clouds. He raptures his church up. Where do they go? They go to heaven. What happens then? At that time, the Antichrist, which I'll talk about it later in the message today, the Antichrist emerges, all right? The church goes to heaven. I'm going to talk about what we do in heaven for seven years. And it enters into a seven-year period called the tribulation. The first three and a half years are, I want to say, relative peace. It's not totally peaceful, but it's not as bad as the second three and a half years, all right? At the midway point, they have what's called the abomination of desolation. I'll explain that at the end of the message today. At the end of the seven years, now Christ comes all the way back to earth, but he brings his church with him, all right? He brings us with him, and we are set up, he sets up his, his earthly throne in Jerusalem for a thousand-year rule and reign of Christ on the earth. Then there's this last thing called the great white throne judgment. We will not be at that judgment. That'll be unbelievers. And then John says, and I'll teach the last in Revelation 21, John sees a new heaven and a new earth coming down to earth. So this is the timeline here. Again, if you haven't been here, I encourage you to go back and listen to the last few messages. So what is the rapture? I mean, what is the tribulation? It is a seven-year period of time that happens immediately after the rapture. Where do, we, where do we learn about the tribulation, Pastor? I mean, is this just one obscure scripture in Ezekiel? No, not at all. Daniel chapter 7. By the way, you ought to listen. I taught on Daniel last year. I taught uh, six weeks. It was called Culture Shift. The last message I taught, Daniel chapter 6, I, uh, the sixth week of my Daniel series, I taught on Daniel chapter 7. 9, 11, and 12, where Daniel has a vision of the end times, and he has a vision of the tribulation, all right? So where do I get the concept? Where does the Bible, where do we get the concept of the tribulation? Number one is the book of Daniel. Number two, Jesus talks about the tribulation. Matthew chapter 24, he talks about it. Mark chapter 13, he talks about it. So Jesus, Daniel teaches about the tribulation. Jesus talks about the tribulation. And of course, John. John in the book of Revelation. The tribulation basically extends from chapter 6 all the way through chapter 19 and about verse 10. So having said that, I want to talk to you just a little bit about how I want to unpack this today. Because once you get into chapter 6 through 19, it's not linear. It was linear in chapter 1. John talked about the past. It was linear in chapter 2 and 3. That was week 2 message. John was writing to seven churches in Asia Minor. Chapter 3, chapter 4, it was linear. He had a picture. There's a rapture. Now we pick up in chapter 6, and it's a seven-year period of time, but it skips around a little bit, and it jumps back and forth. Because watch this. There are three concurrent storylines happening at the same time. How many of y'all like a good action thriller movie? Anybody like a good action thriller movie? One of those is uh, the Avengers movie. Anybody saw that? If you've seen the Avengers movies, it's most thrillers have multiple storylines happening at once. It's like, so, so the, 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 the movie producer can't show on the screen three things happening at once. And so they'll show something, but you also know that something else is happening because then that thing will pop up and it's like progressed and then that'll go away. Well, if you saw the Avengers, for instance, Iron Man's in one place while Captain America's somewhere else. Come on, do you remember? And then there's another scene. And so, so there's three, at least three concurrent storylines all happening, although we can only see one at one time, but you know the other ones are happening. In the same way, during the tribulation, there's a storyline where things are happening with the church in heaven that's been raptured. 
There's also a storyline number two with Christ as he's pouring out his sealed judgments. I'm going to explain that in a moment on the earth. But there's also what's happening to all the people that are on earth. Remember, not everybody gets raptured. So, so what happens? So there's three concurrent storylines. And in Revelation chapter 6 through 19, what John does is he'll, he'll, he'll do one storyline and then he talks about where the other one is and then he goes, but it all happens, I believe, during the seven-year period of time. Okay, having said that, I want you to take your notes out and I want to jump into the first storyline. Here's the question. What happens to the church after they're raptured? What happens? Number one, the storyline of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Again, believers, if I can have my chart up, my first chart, please. Believers, when they get raptured, who gets raptured? Whoever's a, a follower of Christ, when Christ comes to rapture his church, he comes to the clouds and he catches away. Where do I get that? The Greek word harpazo that's translated in the Latin rapture that catches away the church. Where does the church go? Where do the people go? They go to heaven. What happens when they get to heaven. I believe the scripture shows, and I'm going to demonstrate it in a moment, that the very first thing that we do is Christians will stand before Christ in what's called the judgment seat of Christ. The Greek word judgment is bima. That's where they get the bima. Some of you maybe have learned in school the bima seat judgment. That's just the Greek word for judgment. So the judgment seat of Christ, what is the judgment seat of Christ? Now, watch this. I want everybody to hear me. When as believers, we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we're not judged by Christ depending whether or not we go to heaven. Going to heaven was decided when we put our faith in Christ. Does that make sense? Is everybody with me? What gets you to heaven for eternity is you've trusted Christ as your Savior. It had nothing to do with your works. It had, it had to do with you putting your faith in Christ's work on the cross, okay? So then what are we judged for? Well, we're judged for our good works after we come to Christ. Now, let me tell you something. Our works don't get us into heaven. Listen to me closely, because I think we have overreacted at times about, oh, it's not works that gets it. You're right. Our works don't get us into heaven, but listen to me. It's Christ's work that gets it into heaven, but it's your works after you're a Christian that'll help other people get into heaven. Does that make sense? Because you've shared Christ with somebody, because you gave somebody a cup of water in the name of Jesus, because you visited somebody in prison, because you've clothed someone that was naked. That's what Matthew 25 is all about. So your works and my works are important, although they don't get us to heaven, it's the deeds that we do in the name of Christ that help get other people into heaven because we're preaching the gospel, okay? So the very first thing that happens, Paul suggests in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, is the church is raptured up, and so now we're all standing before Christ, all right? What happens? For we must all, everyone say all. Remember, he's writing to Christians here at the church at Corinth. Unbelievers will not stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Just like believers, you and I, we will not be at the great white throne judgment. That's week six. I'll talk about that. That's in two weeks. All right? For we must all stand, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body. Next verse, watch this. According to what he has done, whether good or bad. Did we share Christ when Christ asked us to? Did we love this person or did we not? Again, this judgment is not a judgment of whether you go to heaven. You're in heaven at this judgment. It's about what you did for Christ. That's why I think it's so important that we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit. When God asks us to do something for, how many know the Christian life is not a life where we live unto ourselves? 
We've been purchased with the price. We've been bought by Christ. We belong to Christ. And because of that, we ought to, listen, do works in the kingdom of God for Christ. Very, very important. So there's coming a moment where we are judged. And so according to our righteous deeds, the Bible says, we are given rewards. And it determines what we do in eternity, forever, ruling and reigning with Christ. All right, having said that, Pastor, what happens immediately after the judgment seat of Christ? If you can pull my chart up again. Uh, the, the next thing that happens is we enter in for a seven-year period of time of what I believe the Bible teaches the church is doing in heaven. Remember the three storylines. We are enjoying with Christ the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 and 8. Here's what the Bible says. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. There's a marriage. In the Bible, this is really cool. In the Bible, the Bible calls Jesus the groom. And the Bible calls us, the church, his bride. That's why I tell ladies, look, don't get freaked out when the Bible, if it calls you a son, because the Bible also calls men the bride. Are y'all with me? I'm, I'm serious. That, that's important. So, so watch this. It says, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his, that's Christ's bride, us, the church, has made herself ready. Now watch this. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. I'm telling you, what we do for Christ is important. That's why when you live your life, you ought to live it with the true north, loving Christ and making an impact that God has placed you in this generation for a purpose to make an impact for Christ. Through your business, through raising kids, through loving your spouse, through being a neighbor, through whatever club or involvement, that we are doing it in the name of Christ. Doesn't mean we always have to preach, but it means that on our actions, we ought to demonstrate Christ. Are y'all with me? So there's this marriage that happens. This marriage supper that happens, that seven-year feast takes place in heaven with Christ and with the believers. Now, listen to me closely. This is important. An ancient Jewish tradition, watch this. This is so profound. This is in the Bible. In ancient Jewish tradition, the wedding feast was seven days. Watch how this follows. It was seven days. The first day, the first day what happens is the groom goes to the bride's home and gets the bride and takes her to the feast. It's then seven days long. At the end of the seventh day, the groom takes the bride and brings her to their new home. Can you pull that chart up for me again? Now you see how all this begins to fit together. The first day, what happens is the groom, everyone say Jesus. Jesus comes to get his bride, the church, and brings her to a feast. Seven days, again, I'm going to show you next week why seven days in Jewish history is like seven years. I'm going to show you the analogy between seven days. I'm going to unpack it a little bit in the latter part of my message, but I'm going to show you the symbols. And actually, Daniel goes back to 70 weeks, 70 weeks Seven days and seven years. I'm going to show you how all that connects a little bit this week and then the next week. Watch this. So now the, the, the groom, Christ, is with his bride for seven days or for seven years. And guess what? At the end of the seventh year, the groom, Jesus, brings his bride, us, to our new home, the earth. And he sets up his earthly kingdom. 
very, very, very powerful. Say, Pastor, wow, I never realized that we actually go to a marriage supper and we have it. Yeah, it's your supper. It's my supper. We are getting married. The church is being married to Christ. This whole thing. And that's why marriage is so big. And that's why a bride and a groom, that's all out of the Bible, by the way. Ephesians chapter 5, talking about Christ being the groom and we being his bride and how God brings us together. Pastor, what should I do? I tell you what we should do. We should love Christ. We should live a holy life and we should impact people for him. That's how we prepare ourselves for this wedding feast. Everybody say, love Christ. I mean, we should love Christ. We should love Jesus. Number two, not only should we love Jesus, is that we should live holy. That, that, that we want to we want to keep ourselves unspotted from the world, right? And by the way, you can live holy without living in a hole. That's where the power of the Holy Spirit comes in. And number three, we ought to tell as many people as we can about Christ. What are we doing, Pastor? What are we doing? We're preparing ourselves. We're preparing ourselves for the marriage supper of the Lamb, where the church is married to Christ. How many y'all looking forward to that? Isn't that exciting? Isn't that cool? That's what the Bible says. So pastor, what's happening? So number one, the first storyline is the church in heaven after we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, we're being married to Christ and then we come back to the earth with Christ, which I'll pick up week five, six, and seven. Number two, the second storyline. Remember we talked about the Avengers, three storylines happening in the book of Revelation during the tribulation, there's three storylines happening. The second storyline is what's happening at the throne of heaven with Christ. Remember this, nothing happens on the earth that is not first established in heaven. All right, Revelation chapter six, verse through 19, or really the end of 18, beginning in 19. We see three cycles, three cycles, of seven judgments released on the earth. There's seven seals, there's seven trumpets, and there's seven bowls. In the first part of the tribulation, I want you guys, uh, if you can, and, and to show the tribulation slide that I did. It's, uh, we didn't look at it, and it breaks down the tribulation. Yeah, thank you. This is seven years long. We're focusing primarily on the first three and a half years in the first three and a half years of the tribulation, there is two witnesses that we're going to read about in a moment. There's the temple restored in Jerusalem. There's 144,000 Jews that get saved. But watch this. There are seals. Everyone say seals. Now, I didn't explain it well in the other services, and somebody thought I was talking about like a seal that goes in the water. And I don't say that disrespectfully, but they were probably sleeping half the time. But anyway, so... A seal is like you put a seal on a parchment paper. Does that make sense? And actually, and so what Jesus was doing is, remember the Bible talks about who is worthy to open the seven seals? What they were were, they were seals on a paper, on a parchment, on a scroll, the Bible talks about. And he would open the seal. So a seal would be like you would imprint a seal on a parchment. Does that, does that make sense? If they're not in the water at SeaWorld, that's a different seal. I think they're spelled differently too. Okay, so... So in the first part of the tribulation, the seven seals are released, the seven judgments. And that's why I say that it becomes progressively more intense. The second part is trumpets and bowls. There's more judgment in the second half of the tribulation. All right, now, where do we go from here? So pastor, when these seals are open, when Christ opens these seals, and this is poured out on the earth, what is happening? What, how, how practically did this judgment take place? Well, number one, I think literally, which I'm going to show you in a moment, each seal had a judgment. 
All right, and I'm going to show you what they represented. It's right out of the Bible. It's all in Scripture. But I think there's another thing that we need to understand. I think God's judgment is when God finally leaves us to ourselves. You see, because if we really did what was in our heart, all that was in our heart, and there was no bridling of the Word of God, there was no bridling of the Holy Spirit, I mean, just think about where you and I would end up. If, our, if we didn't have a conscience pricked by the Holy Spirit, come on, are you all with me? If the, the sense of right and wrong was removed from our conscience, and man, we would basically be like animals. It would be all about instinct and survival, eating and, and, and ro- procreating. That's it. That's it. Well, we have a moral conscience as humans and the Holy Spirit is with us and we have the word of God and we have this moral compass that, well, I believe part of judgment that happens on the earth, listen to me, that happens during the tribulation is when the church, the moral conscience of a fabric of society is removed and the Holy Spirit in the church, in the manifestation of that is removed, people go nuts. Fact of the matter is that you being in work and you go to that job and they're like, oh yeah, you're like this Christian. And they kind of mock you a little bit because you're one of those little Jesus freaks. What you ought to say respectfully is the only reason why you're not under judgment and this whole place is not burned down is because I'm a Christian and I'm actually working in the same place. You're actually lucky I'm working next to you. <laughs> That's what you ought to say. Now, I know we don't believe in luck and whatever. Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm talking about when Christians and the Holy Spirit are removed from the earth, all hell busts loose. Let me show you. It's in a Bible. I know some of you new people are like, like this is like a deep, weird church. Just hang on. <laughs> just, just, I'll be on another series and tell you how wonderful you are coming in October, all right? And smile, but just this is the Bible. Just don't forget that. Okay, 2 Thessalonians 2. Y'all been asking me for 16 years, preach this, preach this. All right, here we go. So, 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 so this is, is, now watch this. Now, now watch, here's my, here's my, what's called presupposition. Here's what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is part of the wrath of God on the earth that's hitting the earth is because Christians have been removed. Do you remember what the Bible calls you? Salt and light. Do you remember what purified meat prior to refrigeration? What was it? Salt. Do you know if you didn't have salt, how quick meat decompose, how it, it rots? You're talking about a world that rots real quick without the salt and light of believers being there. Are y'all with me? It's right here in the Bible. Here it is. And now you know, Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica, his second letter. He says, and you know, the, and you know what is restraining. So there's a restraining factor. All right. I'm going to share that he may be revealed in his own time. The Antichrist Several things happen. There's a rapture, the tribulation begins, and the Antichrist is revealed, all right? What is keeping the Antichrist from being revealed right now is the church. I'm telling you, teaching through the book of Revelation ought to give you a whole new perspective that God has invested a lot inside you as a, as a child of God. I'm telling you a lot. For the mystery of lawlessness, that's the wickedness of sin, is already at work in the earth. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. What is he talking about? What is restraining evil in the earth today? It's the Holy Spirit manifesting himself through the church. Well, when is the church taken out of the way? At the rapture. And now all of a sudden, can you imagine? uh, There was a missionary couple from uh, uh, England 
who has an orphanage last night. They were in meeting with me, and I was having dinner with them. And they told me they went to Kenya, to a place in Kenya, where the gospel's never been heard. You, you should have heard some of the sexual practices and some of the, some of the things that they were doing. And I said, oh, that's like barbaric. He said, what's been amazing over the last seven, eight years, as we've taught the people, and as they've gotten saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, it's amazing how they're honoring one another, and they're serving one another. Why is that? That's, that's, the, that's he, that's the Holy Spirit in his church, and what it's doing is it's salting up that culture. Does that make sense? Well, when that's removed, everything just, it just, it just, it just quickly rots. Now he, now, now, and then the lawless one, that's the antichrist, which I'll talk about in a moment, will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume. When is he revealed? The church is raptured up. The church enters into what I talked about a couple minutes ago. The, 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 the things start happening on the earth and the antichrist steps forward. All right. Now, remember, I'm going to talk about it. He's called a man of peace in scripture until his true colors are shown. It says, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Whoa, pastor, this is heavy. What's in the Bible? So I'm suggesting to you that part of the judgment that hits the earth is that the church filled with the spirit, believers, the salt and life that God's called us to be has been removed. And so, and so all hell is busted loose. Loose. Let me just quickly talk about what are the seven sealed judgments? All right, what are they? Number one, there's a white horseman. All of this is in the book of Revelations, chapter six. You can read all of this, the seven sealed judgments. I'm not making this up. This is in the Bible. I'm not even giving you my opinion about these things. It's real clear what they represent that starts hitting the earth, all right? The white horseman, Revelation 6-2, represents a dominating spirit bent on conquering and conquest. Number two, the red horseman in Revelation 6-4, the second seal, represents a spirit of wrath and anger, bringing civil unrest, crime, and murder. I'm going to tell you something. You remove the church, you remove the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit and salt and light in the culture. I'm telling you, you talk about civil unrest. Uh, you, you talk about, I mean, it's, 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 it's serious. Interestingly, Revelation 6, 5, the third seal is a black horseman and it represents the fruit of greed and economic collapse. Who, uh, so who remembers what the day was actually called in 1929 when the stock market crashed in America? Does anybody remember what it's called? Black what? It's actually Thursday. But anyway, Black Friday, Thursday. Here's my point. I don't think it's a coincidence that the black horsemen say, Pastor, are you just like reading into this? Look at it. It's economic explosion that happens on the earth. I'm going to talk about the mark of the beast, Pastor. What is that? You know, and somebody said, you know, they're kind of already, I'm going to talk about that in the coming weeks. I can't give you everything in one week. All of this is straight out of the Bible. The fourth seal in Revelation 6, 8 is a pale horseman, and it represents worldwide wars, famine, starvation, and believers will suffer. Listen, Pastor, are people saved, question, during the tribulation? Yes. Who gets saved? Gentiles get saved, but they immediately get martyred. All right? There's no formation of a church. The church has been raptured. Number two, 144,000 Jewish people get saved during the tribulation. I'm going to show you here in just a moment. The fifth seal is what John sees, what happens to these Gentile believers that give their hearts to Christ. There's going to be people after the rapture like, oh my gosh, it's the right. Now, the majority of the world will get deceived, but I believe that people that have been in church that have been exposed to the gospel, but they never served Christ and gave their heart to Christ. 
They've been around it. They, uh, they, they had an understanding and a sense of, yeah, but they weren't willing to serve Christ. I believe those are the people uh, that, that they're going to oh my gosh, this is this. I mean, you're going to be really freaked out when, when, when one of your relatives is raptured. It's like, remember the Bible? Jesus himself said in Matthew, two will be in a field. One will be taken, but another will be left. I'm not making this. It's all in the Bible. Are you all with me? It's not out of a comic book. This is, out of, this is in the Bible. So, so now John sees the fifth seal. Watch this, Revelation chapter, uh, watch this. I saw under the altars of the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God, for the testimony which they held. I don't have time to unpack why you just saw their souls. They don't have resurrected bodies. That happened at the, at the rapture. They weren't raptured. They missed the rapture because they weren't sold out to Christ. But they got saved. Their, their heads were immediately uh, cut off. And so now they're in a place where they're waiting for the consummation of the marriage feast. This is really powerful stuff. John sees this whole thing. There's another seal that happens, Revelation 7, 9. And let me say this, the first three and a half years of the tribulation, again, I want to say this, there are people that get saved, Gentiles are killed, but then there's Jewish people that get saved. How many Jewish people? 144,000. Revelation 7, 9, and after these things I looked, and behold, this multitude, which no one can number, of all the nations, tribes, and peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne, clothed with white robes and palm branches. I'll unpack that a little bit more. But people that give their hearts to Christ, interestingly, in the first three and a half years, the Jewish people that get saved are protected, but then they're martyred for Christ in the second half of the tribulation. I'm going to show you in just a moment. Pastor, this is just like overwhelming. It's just in the Bible. Remember, there's three storylines happening. This is a seven-year period of time. The first is the church is being married to Christ in heaven after the judgment seat of Christ. The second is the seals on a parchment are being opened up. Seven seals are being opened up. I believe it's not only the judgment coming from the throne, but it's also the judgment coming out of the heart of man because the leaven, the, 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 the salt, has been removed, the church and the Holy Spirit from the earth. Revelation chapter 6, watch creation being impacted by the sixth seal. I looked, and when I opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black. So there's an ecological disruption that takes place during the tribulation. The seventh trumpet, watch this, the seventh trumpet is, I'm going to explain, uh, uh, the seventh seal opens up and goes into the seventh trumpet. So here's what I'm saying. On the earth, the first three and a half years, and this is just the beginning of the tribulation. So what takes place, Pastor? When the church, go back to the chart if you can. When the church is raptured out of here, when the church is raptured out of here, we're in heaven, we're at the marriage supper of the Lamb, we've stood before the judgment seat of Christ, and then Christ is on his throne, and there's seven seals where seven judgments are starting to hit, all within these first three and a half years, all right? It has set the stage for the Antichrist, for the Bible calls the Antichrist a man of peace, because he steps forward and tries to bring peace to a turmoil, uh, a tumultuous situation and culture. So, Let's talk just a moment about 144,000. Pastor, I've seen this in the book of Revelation. What does that mean? There are 12 tribes of Israel, 12, all right? In the book of Revelation, in the first three and a half years, 12,000 Jews from each one of the tribes are born again. Well, pastor, how do they get born again? Who's preaching to them? If the church has been raptured, who's preaching to them? Who's sharing Christ? Who's talking about, this is what's going on. You guys are under judgment. You got to return to Christ. Who is telling them? There's two witnesses. Now, I want everybody to hear what I'm about to say. There are two witnesses. There are two preachers on the earth, like two Old Testament prophets. They're talking about, let me tell you what's going on and why it's going on. And apparently they're pointing them to Christ because people are getting saved. 
That's who's leading these people to Christ. And then, of course, after people get saved, you know, the other Jewish people are leading other Jewish people to Christ. What about these two witnesses? God inserts these people into the human dilemma, and this thing is going on right now. Let me read what happens. What I'm about to read to you, I'm going to share with you why I believe the book of Revelation could not have even, the end times fulfillment could not even happen until about 40 years ago. And I'm going to tell you in just a moment, so stay with me. Revelation chapter 11, verse 1, we're talking now about the two witnesses during the first three and a half years of the tribulation, the church is in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and they're preaching the gospel, and they're talking about why there's judgment, and 144,000 Jews get saved. Gentiles are getting saved, but immediately getting martyred for their faith. Watch this. I will give power to my two witnesses, all right? And they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. If you add that up, it's right close to three and a half years. Not exactly, but it's right. Isn't that interesting? Well, they get killed in the middle of the tribulation. These guys, just hang on. I'm going to read it to you right here. Next verse. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before God on the earth. Next verse. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds. These two witnesses are protected because they're the only witnesses to who God is and explaining what's going on in the earth. It proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, uh, they must be killed in this manner. Next verse, they have power to shut up heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them into blood, to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. These two witnesses are like powerful preachers, all right? And when they finish their testimony, watch this, the beast the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit, I'll talk about the two beasts in a moment, will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. Stop right there. So you've got these two witnesses, these two preachers. In the first three and a half years of the tribulation, the church has been raptured out. We're at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and they're preaching. They're talking about why there's judgment. 144,000 Jews get saved. Gentiles are getting saved, but they're immediately getting martyr, martyred. And watch this. Remember, the majority of the world is deceived by the Antichrist at this point in time. All right? These two preachers get killed. And the Bible says, I'm going to show you in a moment, that their bodies lay in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days. And they're dead right there. Now, let me show you something that I, I, this is why I believe that none of this could have happened until 40 years ago. And I'll tell you why. Go to, go to the next verse, verse eight. And their dead bodies, that's the two witnesses, will lie in the streets of the great city, the city of Jerusalem, which spiritually is called Sodom because of what they had gotten into in Egypt, which is a representation of the world. The worldliness had gotten so deep in Jerusalem. Go back, please, if you can, to the other verse. Who, uh, uh, where also our Lord was crucified. That's Jerusalem, okay? So these dead bodies, these two witnesses are in Jerusalem. Now watch this next verse. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies. The whole world's gonna see their dead bodies. Three and a half days, they're dead in the streets of Jerusalem and, they don't, and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. Let me stop there just for a moment. I'll never forget in 1991, my brother was in Desert Storm. And uh, he's been to Iraq and Afghanistan after that, but he was in Desert Storm in 1991. I'm in college. I'm a senior in college. And my parents, we would watch on CNN. That's when CNN really started exploding. We, it was the first time that Americans, first time anyone in the world saw war real time. 
Do you guys remember that? We could see Scud missiles, and we would see them coming in. And why is that? Because of satellite television. So it was the first time in 1991, 25 years ago, that the whole world could be watching a missile shot in the Middle East. At, at, at just at real time, not video. I mean, just like real time. I began to think about this. How is the whole world going to see two bodies dead in Jerusalem? Real simple, because of satellite television. They're gonna have, I don't know if the cameraman's going to be from Belgium or Switzerland or China or whatever, but they're going to be freaked out. Because they're going to be looking at, watch what happened to these two bodies and, and these two bodies. Now, all the world is rejoicing that these two prophets are killed. Remember, the whole world's deceived at this point in time. And these guys are filming, and all of a sudden, watch what happens, all right? That's why there had to be a way. That's why I believe that technology has been so critical to the end times, because the whole world, had, there's, it would have never happened until uh, in the 70s, when, or really the 80s, when satellite television kicked up. Watch this. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice. These guys are dead. Finally, these two preachers are dead. Now we can get back to doing what we want to do. And make merry and send gifts to them. Those are not good gifts, by the way. Good, good, send gifts to one another. Those are Antichrist gifts. But anyway, any Christmas gifts. Because these two prophets, because these two prophets tormented those who dwell, they didn't torment them. They were preaching the gospel, and these people wanted them out of their hair. And those who dwell on the earth. Now, after three and a half days, okay, CNN's there with the cameras, man. After three and a half days, the breath of, of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet. I mean, talk about freak you out, man. These cameramen, which is translated in South Louisiana, what's up? <laughs> and great fear fell on all those who saw them. Everybody's like freaked out. Like, what is going on here? I'll tell you what's going on. They got resurrected. You know, it's interesting. I've been to Jerusalem and said, well, you know, Jesus raised from the dead. Yeah, you know, well, nobody saw him got raised from the dead. The whole world is going to see these guys get raised from the dead. The whole world. Pastor, wow, this is like getting so heavy. It's in, it's in the tribulation. Why did God do it? To validate his message. One of the things with miracles, signs, one of the miracles validates the message of who God is and what God wants to communicate to us. All right, I got about five minutes. Listen to me closely and don't worry about it because the saints aren't playing right now. So you got it. I've waited 16 years to just, just sit on your blessed insurance and give me three or four extra minutes, all right? <laughs> this brings us to two important characters in Earth's in Earth storyline. There's two beasts. Listen to me closely. There's the Antichrist and the false prophet. When the church, go back, my first graph, when the church is raptured up, the Antichrist, my first graph, the Antichrist emerges right here. He's got to bring peace to the earth, all right? It's a false peace. It's a deceptive peace. The lack of restraint because the church is gone allows this Antichrist figure to emerge. Listen to this. And he cuts a covenant with Israel. Pastor, how do you know this? It's in the Bible. Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. Isn't it amazing that that little piece of land, Israel, isn't it amazing that throughout the history, this little piece of land that's, had so, that's captured 
history. So it's just amazing. Watch this. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. This happens with the Antichrist. Then he shall confirm. Remember, three places where the tribulation is talked about, the book of primarily the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, and Jesus in the Gospels, Mark 13, Matthew 24. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Again, I'm going to show you in Jewish culture, one week represents at seven days, seven years. I'm going to show you more about that next week. But in the middle of the week, in the middle of the week, at the three and a half year point in the tribulation, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. Pastor, what are they talking about? Do you remember last year I talked about the abomination of desolation? The book of Daniel, Jesus talks about it, Daniel talks about it, and John talks about it. What is the abomination of desolation? All right, listen to me closely. The, the Antichrist cuts a covenant with Israel, and the Antichrist actually is part of helping Israel restore the third temple in Jerusalem right on the Temple Mount today. And the Jewish people start sacrificing again. You say, Pastor, that's just ridiculous. Google when you go home today, the third temple. They have all the plans right now as I speak. You can watch a video fly through of the third temple. They have it all designed and Jewish people are waiting. Well, what are they waiting for, Pastor? I'll tell you what they're waiting for. They're waiting for the Dome of the Rock the third holiest Islamic site to be removed off of their temple site. Do you know when you look at the pictures of Jerusalem and you see that gold kind of dome looking thing? That's, an, that's, a, that's a Muslim mosque. That's an Islamic mosque. All right. It's right on top of the, 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 the Temple Mount where Solomon's temple was. And then later it was restored after captivity. And then Herod helped the Jews to rebuild that temple the time that Jesus walked into the temple. That Temple Mount right there on top of that in about 700 AD was established, what's called uh, the Dome of the Rock. That's that gold thing. So question, how is the Jews going to rebuild their third temple? How are we going to even have this abomination of desolation? Because here's what happens at the three and a half year mark. The Antichrist walks into the temple and declares himself to be God and his mask is removed. And that starts what's called the great tribulation and all hell busts loose. All right, I'm going to give you my opinion. I got three minutes. I'm going to give you my opinion. This is not in the Bible. This is my opinion. All right, here's my opinion. This summer when I was in Israel, I'm watching. And by the way, the walls that you see, those were built in the 15th century by Suleiman the Great, a Turkish, the Ottoman Empire. The walls you see currently were built upon the first, uh, built upon the second temple walls. So the, those walls are Turkish walls that you see. How, I was looking at the Temple Mount and I was looking at that Dome of the Rock and I thought, how is that going to happen? How are they going to rebuild right here? The Bible says in Jerusalem. How are they going to do that? And this is my opinion. I think the Antichrist is going to broker a deal with Israel. He is so slick in his persuasive skills that I think he's going to get Israel to cut a deal where they're going to trade land for the Temple Mount. And because remember, the Temple Mount, where the Dome of the Rock is, that's the third holiest site for Islamic people. One is Mecca, two is Medina, and three is right there in Jerusalem. Right there. I believe, this is my opinion, this is not in the Bible. Everything else I've said up to this point has been in the Bible. This is my opinion. The question is, how did the Jews get that temple site to rebuild the third temple, to have the sacrifices that they have a temple where the Antichrist can go in at the three and a half year mark and desecrate it? How does this happen? I believe that the Antichrist brokers a deal with Israel where Israel swaps land for the Temple Mount. And when that happens, and by the way, it never works. Boy, that's a whole other message. 
But I believe that that swap is going to, well, what happens is at the building dedication of the temple, at the three and a half year mark, you know, we had at the Little Creek, Campo, uh, uh, Little Creek Campus a building dedication. At that mark, the Antichrist does this. He marches into the Holy of Holies. It's in the Bible. And he declares himself to be God. And that is when, that's, the, that's called the, everybody say the abomination. He abominates, abominates a verb. Abomination is a noun. The abomination of desolation. He desecrates the temple. That's what he does right there. It's like, boom. And, the, and, it's, and, and everyone sees him for, for, for who he really is. So, pastor, that's a lot of stuff you just gave me. This is a lot of heavy. And I'm just going to say, you can go Google right now on the way home, not when you're driving, but when you get home. You Google the third temple. The Jewish people are waiting because they, they're, they they're, they're ready to start their sacrifices again. They're, they're ready. They're ready for it. They got to get that temple mount. I'm going to close with this. Pastor, what do I do? I'm an unbeliever. Listen to me closely. If you're an unbeliever here, let me say this. We love you. God loves you. And this is an opportunity to get right with Jesus. I can't tell you when Jesus is coming back. I can't tell you if it's today, a hundred years. I can't tell you, but I can tell you this. Our world is rocking and reeling, and this is no time to try to live this life by yourself. This is a time to get close to Christ. For believers, listen to me closely. For believers, I think this is a time to know the Bible, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to occupy till he comes, to be filled with faith. We're not retreating, but we're gonna run all the way until we're raptured or we go by way of the grave, right? We're gonna tell our kids to go to college. We're gonna start businesses. We're gonna make an impact in every part. We're gonna be Daniels and Josephs and Esthers. Come on, are y'all with me? We're gonna make an impact for Christ all the way to whenever that is, whether we die or we get raptured. But let me tell you this, whatever we do, we better lead as many people as we can to Jesus. Don't forget that. God gave you that business, ma'am. God gave you that business, sir, to glorify God. Doesn't mean you need to preach Christ over the microphone, but you need to preach Christ through your lifestyle. We need to do everything to see as many people come to Christ as they can so they don't go through that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for the power of your spirit right now convincing us of our need for Christ. I just want to say this. If anybody's in this place today or any of our campuses, our South Shore, I know I went five minutes over today, but, but this was important today. If you do not know Christ, if you're not sure, if you die today, you're ready to stand before God. In just a moment, the count of three, I'm just going to ask for a show of hands and say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus. I need the blood of Christ to wash me and cleanse me. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. I can't save you. Our church can't save you, but I tell you what I can do. I can point you to the one who saves. I remember 27 years ago when I was 19, when I gave my heart to Christ, I said, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me, wash me, cleanse me. Do you know Christ? Are you sure you're ready to die and stand before him? Has your sins been forgiven? The count of three all over this place at every one of our campuses, our South Shore, Gulf Coast, our online campus. I'm just going to ask you right where you are, just to lift your hand at the count of three. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus. If that's you, one, two, three. Hold it up high so I can see it.